0: Bu seferki konuğu Hollandalı fotoğrafçı ve yönetmen Anton Corbijn. Anton Corbijn 30 yıldır Depeche Mode ve U2'nun e, sanatsal direktörlüğünü yapıyor. Aralarında Robert De Niro, Björk, Elvis Costello, Clint Eastwood, Annie Lennox gibi e, hem Hollywood'un hem de müzik dünyasının ikonik isimlerinin fotoğraflarını, portrelerini çekiyor. Anton Corbin'le e, sinema yazarı Yaşım Tabak e, kariyeri üzerine konuşacak şimdi. Hi, hello. You can come. Uh, Today, uh, like he just said, uh, today today we are really happy and excited to welcome one of the most prominent visual artists uh, of our time, Mr. Anton uh, Corbine. Actually, he's been uh, kind of celebrating his uh, glorious uh, career since last year with uh, big retrospective shows and exhibitions. And we are lucky enough to see uh, a a tiny part of the retrospective, just six portraits uh, in Istanbul, in Istanbul 74's gallery now. Uh, Well, actually, he's going to tell his own story. (laughs) He he prepared a slideshow for us. And he's going to go through his career uh, with the company of Images, the real stuff, so... <laughs>
1: yeah, we're trying. Thank you, trying. Yeah. So this is one of my very first pictures. Um, no, not really. This is the beginning. I was born on an island. <laughs> um, and it's always important where you come from to see what you do later in life. So I was born into a, a very strict Protestant family. My father was the pastor of the village. Um, in, I was born in the 50s. Uh, so that felt um, very strict religiously at the time, and, and the world was a much bigger place. So um, uh, the isolation on an island I really felt. And when in the 64, uh, 65 I for the first time heard um, the Beatles and, and other pop music to the radio, it seemed to um, be talking about a a sort of promised land that was outside of that island, that was across the water. Um, Hence, one of my retrospectives was called Holland's Deep, because for me, everything that sounded like um, a different kind of life, a more uh, uh, liberal kind of life, um, that was then demonstrated by my love of music, uh, came from outside that island. Uh, When I was 11, uh, my family moved from the island and uh, the the love of, of music was born. And music really was the only reason I ever picked up a camera. I had no knowledge of art uh, in our household that, that was not really present. Although my, my grandfather was a teacher, um, an art teacher. Uh, but he died when I was four, so I didn't get any um, oh. teaching from him. But he painted, he painted typical Dutch landscapes with a little church and a few houses. So that was the only art in our home. Um, The only exhibition uh, I ever went to before I was 18 was a Rembrandt exhibition that my father took me to in the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. And he took me to Rembrandt because Rembrandt was painting biblical scenes. And that was the only way my father understood art, because he understood what was depicted. so, um, we moved at some point to a, a city in the school holidays in, when I was 17 and I was a very shy person and there was a local band playing on the town square and I was too, too shy actually to go there on my own and not knowing anybody I asked my father if I could borrow his camera because I felt if I have a camera in my hand people realize that you know you walk to the front of the stage because he has a camera in his hand. Uh, when you're shy you always think that people Look at you and discuss every move. You know, it, it's it's a weird thing, how that works. So I took a few pictures because I had my father's camera, and this is the the first picture I ever took. Um, With I, I thought we were gonna s- um, switch those lights off actually, on the front. Did we not do that in rehearsal? So we uh, don't we don't have that light. You can switchları s-
0: kapatabilir miyiz? Ön
1: Anyway, so um, I took about seven pictures and I sent a couple of them to a magazine and I published three of them. Um, Were
0: you a fan of this band?
1: Yeah, I was a fan of this band. It was a local band and they had a saxophone. So I also played saxophone for a year, uh, <laughs> but very badly. Um, I, my instructor was a guy from the army, so it was very strict, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, the magazine prom. Uh, published three pictures without paying, of course, but they said, from one one of our readers, here are some photographs. So that suddenly went went for me, the the light bulb went. I thought, well, I love music so much, I can't play an instrument. How do I get closer to music? And that was photography. Um, And my only references to photography were uh, magazines, music magazines, and and album covers. Uh, They played a huge um, role in my life. In terms of information, I didn't think of art, or I didn't think of galleries or any of that.
0: But you, that also, you you just created, started creating, creating what you like most, like album covers, graphics. Later, l- later,
1: yeah. But but I started like a fan, you know, in front of a stage, not knowing anything about photography. So I had to learn um, about all that, and my my initial uh, playing grounds were. Dutch bands that I photographed in the province in the north of Holland with my father's camera with a flashlight on it. It's terrible. <laughs> I'll show you a few. There were well-known bands. There was Focus. Uh, There's Focus again. And, and that's Golden Earring. And I was so nervous I only would take two pictures, you know, well and a uh, knock on the door and i take two pictures.
0: What did your father think of you hanging out with these people as a...
1: Oh, uh, that, that <laughs> was uh, difficult, <laughs> but they they let me do it. <laughs> then I started to um, uh, work in my school holidays to earn my own camera, and I started also to look at other photographers. You know, I started to have an interest in photography, not just the music, but the photography. And the, the photographers that I liked were, of course, initially only photographers that photographed musicians. <laughs> so, and there's a few people that I liked. There's Elliot Landy, he took for me, uh, what might be the ultimate group shot of the a band called the band. Um, and it's just five guys in a field. And it's very hard to get any better than this, I tell you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jim Marshall was also an incredible uh photographer. He he lived the life, you know, the, he always had a gun on him and coke. Um, but he took incredible pictures. Um and then um I liked also Michael Cooper, he was an English photographer who um, photographed the whole movement of the 60s, so not just the musicians. I mean, he was friends with uh, John Lennon, he was friends with Keith Richards, um, and he would photograph Sergeant Pepper's album sleeve and Stone's Satanic Majestic Request and all that. Um, and he, unfortunately, he was in the 70s, he was very disappointed with the 60s movement, and he committed suicide. But he, this is a picture of Mick Jagger and Keith Richards at Stonehenge. Uh, David Gar was also an incredible photographer, he came from the folk music and he started with Bob Dylan and um, very much the New York scene, this is Spetty Smith um, in the Chelsea Hotel. And then in Holland you had a lot of photographers (coughs) who were very um, interested in the um, world politics and they would go to South America and uh, Latin America, wherever there was a revolution or there was struggle. Um, they were very um, socially engaged. And they always made black and white pictures and they printed in the skies very dark. And so that's why I get some of of the way I worked with uh, from the look, that, that the, very the heavy black and, and white, and, and printed in, um, that was in the Dutch magazines. So that, that a little bit is my schooling ground plus record covers in general.
0: Can we also say that uh, you being, uh, growing up in a, little town with landscapes all over, that also affected your style, because you kind of uh, like, you seem to be liking a lot landscapes. We see them in many of your photographs and videos yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll come to that. I did a landscape series uh, with self-portraits when I went back. Uh, That's the last conceptual series I did in 2001, 2002. Uh, I'm going to show that uh, later. But I photographed myself as diseased musicians in the village where I was born.
0: A somebody, serious. A, exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: Thank you. So um I have to skip a few pictures. Oh, hang on. This this for people who just want to take in what I've done and leave leave again uh within one minute. This is my work explained. Um <laughs> so to make it easier for you guys. The um but I have, a, I have a simpler version of it as well, which is this. <laughs> um, so the first period is the, my black and white series called *Famouz*, and that's uh, looking in from the outside. And then it went to other series where it was looking out from, uh, looking in from the inside. And we're going to look from, uh, look out from the inside and looking out from the outside. Um, after that, I didn't know what I was going to do. So but we start with um, the uh, Black and White series, Uh, and there there was the first picture I took in 73, but I felt it had something. You know, I, I of course, was still taking pictures of people on stage, but I was very um, uh, frustrated by it because I had no control over the movement, over the light situation, and um, I realized that not really what I wanted to do. So I started to, um, this was in small towns, I started to knock on uh, the dressing room doors uh, as shy as I was, if you have a camera in your hand, you feel you're on a mission. So it gives you <laughs> some sort of uh, empowerment to, to knock on a door. And this is a guy called Memphis Slim. Um, and it was never published, but I, I, it's the oldest picture of myself that I um, like enough to show you guys. And um, I started to photograph them for a music magazine in Holland for a couple of years. And for that magazine, I did a picture of uh, Ry Kuder um, he leans on a guitar. Now, in my, in my ph- photography of musicians, I rarely use instruments because I find that so predictable and I think deep down I wanted to lift the idea of taking pictures of musicians out of that music world um, and that would be, of course, easier if you don't use the instruments. One of my most well-known pictures, however, is, of course, a picture of Elvis Costello with a guitar, uh, so there are exceptions, of course, to the rule. Um, and there's an early picture of Johnny Rotten in Amsterdam. I have you so many pictures, I'll go through it. You
0: met quick. there in Amsterdam or when mm. you went to London?
1: No, I met Johnny in 76 in Amsterdam. Oh. Yeah. And I met him many times later in, in uh, London as well. I moved to London in 79, so this was still my, my Dutch period, if you like. Oh, okay. Uh, Jack Bruce also passed away. Um, all these pictures, i just take a bit... You know, available light, Um, I had no assistant of course, I had a camera, I didn't have a lot of money, so on on my film you usually would have more than one subject, because I would take some pictures in the evening somewhere, then some others in daytime the next day. I was very careful uh, not to photograph too much of Steely Dan, uh, very rarely photographed in those days, and this was my first picture that was published in Rolling Stone magazine, and also on a cover for for Steely Dan themselves, so that was my first internationally uh, known photograph. Uh, the guy in the back was just playing piano. You know, it's it's a, it's a hotel lobby. You know. uh, that's that was my stomping ground. You know, an artist comes to Holland, they give you five minutes to shoot in a hotel. So I became a photographer who photographs very quickly, uh, and I can use any uh, any space actually for, uh, to my advantage. I think that's my my schooling. You know.
0: But how is your approach to famous, let's say, artists? You just Meet at that moment, like.
1: Yeah, I mean, it gets everything changes, but um, uh, and now, of course, uh, you know, I have a. Uh, I have work that people generally know, and th- that makes it easier to approach some people. But in the in the early days, um, I had to meet them in a hotel room, um, and later in the eighties, when I lived in England, I worked for a bigger magazine, and they gave you more time, and then my pictures became known, and. and but sometimes when people give you too much time, you lose focus. Oh, I find that difficult. Too much yeah. time. There's uh, so a Frankie Miller simple. I mean, walls, I don't use studios, so walls for me are like a studio. Um, they somehow are a studio with with, with a character. Um, so my, my Dutch friend Herman Brood, um, he was the first person I worked with for many, many years, this is from 75. I started in 73 to work with him. Uh, he committed suicide in 2001, uh, and we, had a, we kept photographing over those years, with, with intervals of course, but uh, he, was, he always told me I was the blueprint for you too, uh, work you do. Um, and it, it's rare in music that you build a relationship with people for a very long period of time. He, he was the biggest musician Holland ever had. This is John Martin. Um, on a good day. Um, I don't know if you know much about Joe Martin, but he was an incredible character. Um, This is the first picture I took when I came to live in England. Uh, The reason I moved to England when I was 24 was that I liked this band very much. It's a band called Joy Division. And um, I took a picture of them with the idea of um, a trip to unknown pleasures. The first album was called Unknown Pleasures, and I used the four figures to symbolize what I felt about the music. So it wasn't so much about what they looked like, but how they could function to achieve that feeling. And I asked one person to look back, and that that person was the singer, Ian Curtis. Now, I I showed that picture to a few magazines, and nobody was interested at all in publishing it. But um, the band themselves liked the photograph very much, and they asked me to come to Manchester, where they lived, and um, to do a few more pictures. So I did more, and then then again, uh, the the singer committed suicide. Now I want to stress that this has nothing to do with them meeting me. Uh, but <laughs> it, it has occurred a few times in my life, and actually it's not <laughs> funny, but I try to make it funny. Um, then, of course, when he committed suicide, this picture was suddenly loved by everybody because it looked like a premonition of his death, um, which, of course, it wasn't. I had no inkling at all of that. Uh, but they were the reason I moved to England, because I liked their music so much. And then many years later, in 2007, I um, made a film about this singer called Control. Um, mostly with my own money, and I lost so much money <laughs> that I had to sell my house in England and move back to Holland. <laughs> so it's, it's a beautiful cycle, Joy Division.
0: We're, we're glad you made the film. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. Um, and this was the singer Ian Curtis just shortly before his death in Manchester.
0: One of the most famous pictures of him.
1: Maybe, and this was Captain Beefheart. Um, he was a musician who grew up with Frank Zappa, and he lived in the desert. And I met him in a uh, museum in LA, and I asked him to go back to the desert and do a picture. And we became uh, close friends. And My very first short film I did with him uh, in t- 1993 called Some Yo-Yo Stuff. Um, he was a remarkable character. In '82, he gave up his music career, which had been not very successful, but very influential. And he became a full-time painter uh, under his real name, which was a Dutch name, Don Van Vliet. Um, and I like his paintings very much. And I think they're very undervalued. This was all in 1980, also uh, David Bowie um, photographed when he played the elephant man. Um, I have to say, I, I worked on a bit for him. Magazine in England called the New Musical Express, which at the time was like the Rolling Stone of Europe. Enemies. Exactly, Enemies is short. An- and I was the main photographer for five years. And I knew they were doing a David Bowie interview in Chicago for this. But Bowie had um, said he w- didn't want any photographer to go there. Um, I knew the journalist. And my, just, I just lived in a squat at the time in uh, Dalston, in London. And my parents had given me some money to buy a cooker. So I wisely spent the money for the cooker on an airplane ticket to Chicago. <laughs> and I turned up with a journalist and um, the lady from Bowie said, well, what's the this? What's this? What's this photographer doing here? Um, and um, years before, I had made a small portfolio of my work and had dropped it off at a hotel in Amsterdam where when Bowie was giving a concert, Bowie was playing. And the guy from the record company had arranged it and I got the, 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 the book back a day later. Um, with a note saying thank you from somebody. Um, so I said, well, uh, you know, um, when you saw my portfolio, you put a note in, thank you, It uh, was years later. And I, uh, but she said, what's wow. your name? And she looked it up in a book, and she had written in a book, uh, best photographer in Holland, Anton Corbyn, And then um, Bowie allowed me to photograph him for five minutes and it became well, a really well-known picture. And uh, yeah, he was a very nice man, I have to say. There's was a day yeah. after we, we met in a bar and we played a Frank Sinatra song uh, that was called uh, That's the Way God Looks Like or The Way God Looks Like, something like that.
0: I can't yeah. be sure of Yeah, that. yeah
1: it's a B-side. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> i trying to find an apology for not knowing the title. <laughs> um, and this was also in that same year, of 1980, I did a lot of photographs. This was uh, the singer of the Slits, Ari Up, with Nina Hagen on a beach. Um, Speed Townsend as an, as an English gentleman in a taxi. Uh, Kate Bush, one of my very few uh, studio photographs. I, I don't feel comfortable using studios because I feel, I feel that um, I recognize good light, but I find it very hard to make good light. And in studios, you have to make light. Oh, I, I'm, I see. Not, I'm no god.
0: <laughs> and is it true that you don't have an assistant while shooting, just you and your camera?
1: Well, nowadays I have an assistant. Uh, f- not, not often. When I photograph the painters, uh, my series of painters, I do it on my own. You know. I mean, photography is, is really very simple. Um, if you want to make it simple, it can be very simple. And you can make it very complex if you want to. But I think the simplicity suits me. You know.
0: And you are very much, uh, uh, it seems so, interested in the expressions in the faces and the dramatic effect of the character. So yeah. I
1: mean, I think that, you know, because I was quite shy, mm-hmm. and <coughs> when, uh, when, like, you have very beautiful girls, I never knew what, what to add to it. What do you add to somebody who's very beautiful? Whereas I find that people that I photograph usually not a, a conservative, in conservative terms, beautiful, but there's a real beauty to them. And that I was more interested in, uh, in in finding that kind of beauty. You know. um, so th- that was basically, I think, what I was looking for. I was looking for people who were very intense uh, and, and with with the work they were doing. You know, because that's what I was doing. I I gave everything to photography. So I was interested in people who did the same with whatever they were doing.
0: Also on their darker sides. Absolutely, like, yeah. Because I mean. When I think of your work, uh, shadows are immediately there in my mind. So
1: yeah, I mean, I don't have that many shadows. Uh, there actually, there are a few shadows coming up, but because I live in Holland, there's not much sun, so you don't have shadow either. <laughs> but it's, it's, if you mean darkness, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that sense. This is Kim Wilde. This, you know, when I look back on some work, there is a sensuality in it that I didn't realize at the time. So this is a picture where I think there's some sensuality in it. Uh, Mark Almond from uh, Soft Cell. Uh, the Cramps. At least there's, there's a body language. There's Susie uh, from the Banshees. That was just in a hotel room. That is not a studio. You can tell in the top <coughs> right. And you see a, a bit of a, a thing on the left and near elbow. It's just a hotel room with, with daylight in, in Japan because they have really good hotel rooms there. And this is James Brown, The Godfather. Um, Sinead O'Connor. So I, I liked um, the beauty of her, but also the aggression that she, that she had in her. And uh, I felt that by having her out of focus in front of a wall, it feels like I'm just taking a picture of the wall and this aggressive punk. He came Energy. up to the camera <laughs> and, and was out of focus therefore. Yeah. yeah. That's Peter Gabriel, and I felt this picture. Um, you can't tell who it is really, but it, it it is a bit like the Joy Division picture. It symbolizes the music. It's like he's walking over a river, and you know, he has many musical landscapes that he's combining into his music. Uh, Tom Waits, uh, I just met him like this. <laughs> And when I did my retrospectives, I I did two museum shows at the same time, one with the, called The Greatest Hits or Misses, but one was a lot of pictures that I had forgotten about myself or never printed. So I went back to my archive for a year uh, in the evenings to find over 40 years of photography images that I had forgotten about, and this was one of those of Brian Ferry uh, in the the Notre Dame. And this is another one of Joe Cocker in um, Père Lachaise in Paris. I did a whole day shoot with him and nothing was ever used. You know, and life goes on, you forget about these things. Uh, Another Parisian picture of Sting. Wow. Um, And that's probably out of the black and white period, my most well known picture of Mars Davis was in a hotel room. And that was done before um, Irving Penn's picture or Annie Leibowitz's picture. They were all based on this photograph, which I'm very proud of. there was the yeah. last pictures I did of my first period with Nick Cave, and I started doing videos in 83. And with videos, for me, that was not a natural um, progression from photography to videos. Because in videos, you had to work with a team, you had to plan your ideas in advance, which photography I'd hardly ever done. You know. um, but be- by doing videos and getting used to props and planning things and, and making ideas, S- that slowly crept into my photography, and this is a good example of it, In Nick Cave. Uh, I was going to do a picture of Nick for my first book, uh, Moose. and um, Nick was, was uh, a drug user at the time, and I said to Nick, well, it's maybe more interesting to photograph you as a pimp than a junkie, <laughs> you know, and he agreed, and um, I brought a moustache to put a moustache on, and uh, we had a belt, and. <laughs> And I brought a woman. And um, so we did a whole series of pictures like that. It was very playful. Yeah, it, people said, how can him. you dress Nick Cave? He's the coolest guy on the planet. But um, Nick thought it was good. And he, later, he grew his own mustache. <laughs> and I, I like to think I helped, uh, helped him getting over that. <laughs> uh, yeah. This was my uh, self-portrait at the end of that period, where I felt, uh, I think I felt very, um, locked into my own thinking, and I was trying to break out of my ego and everything. Not that that worked, but, <laughs> you know. And did th- sorry, at, yeah.
0: at one point, can you tell us a bit also about your, fr- uh, about how your friendships uh, with these people affected your work? Because uh, it's it must be different than being a, let's say, a fot- meeting a photojournalist in five minutes or meeting a friend, how did you become friends with like, w- with some of them, like uh, Tom Waits, Bono, the mode? you've been like really, like relatives.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's an organic, organic process. It takes years, it's just something that develops. You know, I, I mean, I didn't meet Bono and he said, oh, let's work for 35 years together. <laughs> you know, th- these things develop and, uh, um, and that's the same with Tom Waits. Tom Waits I met in 77, took, took pictures, and again in 78, and then not till 83 again, and that's when we started to be- become, I wouldn't say friends at the time, but uh, people who would call each other now and then, you know and uh, like enjoy working together. You know. And it, it, it's, it helps very often, of course, if you know people well that you photograph. Uh, at the same time, there's the risk that you don't go deep enough because they're friends. Maybe you don't. You want to make it easy for them. You know. So you have to always be on edge in that sense. You have to be in best mode. You know, I, I definitely try to be better every single time because I don't want to be uh, the token, the token guy. You know. uh,
0: but how, uh, how, uh, how do they act uh, differently at time? They. They they become in a way your actors, like.
1: Yeah, some, sometimes if you have ideas, and sometimes you know my photography, you know, sometimes is more like documentary photography, but very controlled, you know, because uh, I find if you set things up too much, it's going to look like a picture of, a of uh, something that you set up, and uh, that I try to get real life always in there. You know. it, it's hard, I, of course, I fail uh, often, but
0: often
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's the pictures i don't show <laughs> um so after that first period of black and white 89 i went on to um to a different camera which is a square format just to to start to think different about composition and i also um b- became of course very interested in, in people outside of music you know i developed too. and i had i developed a love for film and for um reading and and um uh, yeah, other art forms. So uh, I started to photograph other people too, and this is Allen Ginsberg uh, at his home. and He's looking through a window, and when Allen Ginsberg was home, because he was a photographer too, he would take a picture out of that window every single day, and I knew that, so that's why I got him to look out of the window. Um, and I wanted to um, um, make a change from the first period to this period, not just in the format, and maybe in the content, uh, because I also had become more well known and I was less shy and uh, I, I got closer to the people I think easier but I also wanted the look to be different so I developed with my printer um, a look that had a, a brown in it as, as well as black and white and it was based on a Japanese paper which had a, a fold, and if you developed it with a certain developer it gave you black and white and a brown tone in it. Um, so that's what I called lit prints, because the developer was called lit developer, but it, it's not in the official meaning of the word, a lit print. But that's what I called those. Um, and then in, in sometime in the 90s, uh, too many people tried to do this too, so I, I stopped. And in the end, I had to stop, because the, although nobody puts money into development of black and white photography, these Japanese did, and they improved the paper, uh, and that meant I couldn't get this effect anymore. So it, it sort of died a natural death for me. Um, this is William Burroughs at, at his home. And if you know the story of William Burroughs, then you know that probably that he um, once put an apple on the top of his wife's head, and he missed when he shot. Well, he missed the apple. Um, so he killed his wife. Uh, and um, so that, that is right shooting it? Is, 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 <laughs> is a, well, it's an echo of the past in a way, and it, it's also you know visually interesting. Uh, this is the hand of John Lee Hooker. Um, this Clint Eastwood, uh, Nicholas Cage, and this is a shadow picture. You know. um, <laughs> so yeah. this is Steven Spielberg, and Steven Spielberg always got photographed as an official guy. And I felt like he, m- he must have been a kid that played with a t- uh, with a flashlight, uh, you know, under the sheets at night, with creating shadows and things. So I asked him to do this thing that, and and uh, you know, would you believe that a few years later he made um, Jurassic Park?
0: <laughs>
1: um, and um, I, I, he never contacted me. Uh, after. And this is uh, Martin Scorsese and Isabella Rossellini with uh, the Statue of Liberty in the background. And uh, years later I got a call from the, the producer of The Sopranos and said for the last series um, you know, we feel that America has turned its back on The Sopranos. Um, not commercially, but in the series. And um, we want to create this photograph with Tony Soprano. And we want you to do it. So I said, fine, uh, I'd love to do the poster. But uh, the only stipulation was that, um, of course, that had to be shot from the New Jersey side. This was from Manhattan side. So you, you're much closer to the Statue of Liberty. But that's why the, the, the poster for the last series of Sopranos has the Statue of Liberty in it. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> thanks for yeah, that.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I knew you were a fan. Um, This is uh, Gilles Depardieu, uh, this Pavarotti, who was always photographed with a silly hat and a Hawaiian shirt on, (laughs) but I I found him to be a very dark character, and um, so I managed to photograph him like that. Uh, This is my picture of Frank Sinatra, where I I feel he looks like a person inside one of his own songs, whereas Frank Sinatra, much like Spielberg in a way, was always photographed with a bow tie, and official, and I liked it more that he was part of his own songs.
0: Also bar, Her pardon. Also bar and yeah,
1: exactly, he yes. looked like a lonely man at the bar. Yeah. You know, this, um, man faithful, and I feel that, you know, um, it, it's very interesting how people perceive a photograph. It, it's what you know about the making of a photograph is how it influences the way you look at it, and uh, that's why I am reluctant to say too much sometimes about pictures to explain pictures. So, for instance, this picture, if you say, well, you know, I had a great night with Marion, and this is when we had uh, some breakfast in the morning, and I took a picture of her, you would look at this picture different than when you say, well, this was a photo moment, and I was with six other photographers, and we shot this, all six of us.
0: Oh, it looks very intimate, really. Exactly,
1: so it's what you tell people is how I- they will perceive the photograph. So I'm not saying which one of the two is true, of course. <laughs> And uh, this is Courtney Love and I always like this picture because uh, I mean this is a bad projection but you see the moon above her and you see that the water circles around her. you know, And it's a bit like a Venus de Milo statue. Michael Stipe. Um, this is uh, Trent Reznor. And the, the eyes are really interesting. We want to do something very organically so that there's a snail on his shoulder and it's of course all nature around him. But I wanted to get something dark in there because the music is quite dark. So I painted the eyelids. Yeah. So that's why it looks a bit strange. He has his eyes closed, and that's painted on it. And that's something I repeated in a video for Depeche Mode for Battle of a Gun. So there is repetition in my work.
0: <laughs> also, makeup. Uh,
1: it's Christy Turlington on a rainy day. We just went for a walk, and this is what happened. <laughs> um, Nomi Campbell. Her reaction to seeing the picture of Christy Tilting. <laughs> um, this is Lenny Kravitz at home. Mick Jagger playing outside. This is in in the um, when the Voodoo Lounge album came out for the Stones. I wanted to do something that was interesting again, photographically, because the Stones had become very safe in the eighties and nineties with the photography, always in a studio and. Whereas oh. in the 60s, 70s, they had exciting pictures. So I persuaded him to do shots that echoed, echoed a bit of that, that exciting visual past.
0: He must have loved that. He's such a performer uh, yeah, no, in every sense. Yes,
1: true. No, th- th- it worked out well. Yeah. So that that was a period called Star Trek where I looked looked in from the inside. And then I felt in the late 90s that um, what it had attracted me to the music world initially was the sense of mystery. You didn't know much about it and I wanted to find out more and in a way my, my traveling to meet these people was my, my trip to find out, you know, my adventure. Um, and in the 90s you got all these gossip magazines and uh, social media started. So there was very little that you didn't know about people. So there was no mystery. And I felt that people always felt, said that my pictures were real, you know, um, it's the truth. I, this is of course not, not the case but that's what people said of my pictures and I felt well if I um, pretend uh, if I take my pictures and, and but make it as a pretend paparazzi picture so people will believe the picture because it comes from me and paparazzi pictures are very believable by people because they always think that's the real thing I can create fake r- fake moments and therefore create mystery again you know, it's the start of a story so I did the whole series again on the uh, 35 millimeter, uh, uh, but with a flash like a paparazzi. Um, and I gave him a different color again, because I wanted it to s- distinguish from the previous periods. And the color I used is blue with a little bit of red in it. As the series went on, I started to like the blue more, so it became almost blue pictures. But the idea was that also, they also look a bit like um, film stills from films that don't exist. And so I thought I'd make it like a film poster that hangs in the sun too long and it drains all the color and then uh, usually you have blue and a little bit of red left. So this is Cameron Diaz with Hugh McGregor. And this is Johnny Depp. Always. So it's not, it's not so important that you d- recognize them for these pictures, no, it's a paparazzi picture. Uh, and this is Mel Gibson doing push-ups. <laughs> and Danny DeVito, and, because everybody knows Danny DeVito is about this high, it, these pictures, it's a funny picture therefore. for um, Sean Penn, Robert De Niro, and all these people were happy to work on this series because I photographed them usually in one or two minutes. It didn't take much of that time. And that, that's of course, is a bonus if you <laughs> photograph somebody who has a busy schedule.
0: But, oh, at that time, who were making the connections? You, you had
1: people? I, I did, yeah. I, I, I knew most people or I, I found them. Yeah. And this is Lars van Trier. Um, uh, in his usual th- Yeah, I mean, <laughs> d- to his defense, it was mid-December. <laughs> it was very cold. Um, this is uh, Stephen Hawking. And I always wanted to photograph Stephen Hawking um, with a reference to the brilliant mind that he is, rather than the disabled person that he also is. Um, so I wanted to take a picture that was quite, c- quite close up. Because as soon as you see the mouth, you realize that there is a disability happening. Um, and I, I bought um, sunglasses that, with mirrors on it. So I've, I, I've, when it flashes, it looks like the planets on his, on his uh, in his eyes.
0: And yeah. even he looks kind of attractive.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, he, Through your eye. I mean, <laughs> it's a photography, I always say, is an incredibly great way to meet interesting people. You spend you spend between five minutes and a few hours with people that are very interesting. And I love that. There's Björk, Nick Cave. That was based on uh, Robert Mitchum's character in The Night of the Hunter. Oh. He's holding an old Bible. You know. Love, hate. Exactly, yeah. Um, Kylie Minogue, Th- that's in my home. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, there's Bono. And for this picture he shaved he shaved um his head to, to create the, the thing. But <coughs> the film I shot is almost a Polaroid film called uh, Polar Pen, which doesn't exist anymore. But it's a sort of um transparency that, that you can develop yourself in a little box. Okay. Uh it is very, very grainy. Um but I, I liked it a lot, you know. Grey grain I always feel is like you you, you grab something from life, you know
0: as if it has some texture,
1: yeah, the texture yeah. is deeper. Joni Mitchell. This, this in originally I didn't do with the series because I was so principled that the flesh hadn't gone off on this picture and I felt, oh, well, that rules that one out. But later <laughs> I realized it was such a great picture of Willie Nelson, you know, even though you don't see his face. He looks also like a you know, sort of Western um, pastor or something.
0: You you're quite a fan of western movies as far as I yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um yeah, I think, you know, although I grew up on an island in Holland, you know, like I don't know what it was in Turkey, but you have a lot of American films on TV. So we when you come for the first t- time to America, you recognize a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, it's, it's part of that culture and westerns. Um, you know, when I, as far as I remember, the first time we watched TV, there were westerns, you know.
0: And was uh, Sergio Leone no, films bef- your?
1: Bef- no, it was before. That and that this was just TV series like uh, Rawhide or something. Oh, know.
0: more classic stuff. But then later on, you, uh, as far as I know, it's the you you use the same town, uh, Almeria, Almeria, uh, Almeria, Almeria in Spain. Yeah, in some of your music videos. Yeah. So I did. Uh, I mean, the places he used in his classic uh, Spaghetti Westerns. So I thought you might have a deep connection uh, with him.
1: Well, yeah, after later I I got that, you know, I I, um, liked the Spaghetti Westerns very much. And when I made my second film, The American, I actually wanted to make a a Western, Um, but that was the film I was gonna make. So I made the structure of the film like a Western um, where somebody um, shoots somebody, has to escape town, hides somewhere in a little village that he connects with the priest and the prostitute, and then, and then the past catches up with him, there's another shootout and he has to leave town again. So that was the structure of the American. And uh, originally, uh, my title for the film was Il Americano, which is imperfect Italian for the American, because I wanted oh. to show that he didn't belong there. But it was my first Hollywood film and I didn't win that battle, but th- th- that was in there. And I, I went as far as um, meeting Ennio Morricone to do the soundtrack uh and there's a bar scene where you see a little bit of a Sergio Leone film. Uh, yeah, well. I so, remember. You know, I tried.
0: That that film also reminded me a bit of uh, Le Samurai by Jean-Pierre Melville with Alain Delon. Yeah. I, told, was I, that, that, was,
1: I I saw that later because a lot of people told me that afterwards. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I don't I have to admit I don't have a massive knowledge about of film but um but I just make make films they with the little knowledge I have, but also it's an adventure. You know, you you find an, a way to, to tell a story.
0: Because <laughs> at that time I was writing for a newspaper, and I wrote that I oh as, really? as, as if I knew I liked the film a lot, it was a great film. I told it was in the Jean-Pierre Marie tradition, but looks like I just lied. <laughs>
1: no, no, you probably maybe unconsciously, you know that 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 got picked up some, somehow. Um, this is my second conceptual series, it's uh, self-portraits. Uh, this is me, uh, dressed as John Lennon. Uh, it was all done in front of camera, so uh, somebody, my sister actually, she was a makeup artist, so she made noses, if needed, and hair pieces. And I looked for clothing. I did it over a period of eight months. I went back to the village where I was born. Um, actually, I, I was looking for why I was still obsessed in my 40s with music. You know, how could I be obsessed with the same thing with, that I was, as a teenager, obsessed with? I thought there must have been something in that village that sparked it off. And only then did I realize there was nothing in that village, but everything came from... My, my, my attention had been from whatever came from outside the village. So I made a series in that village with my obsession of music and my parents' obsession with life after death. And I decided to then dress up as diseased musicians, but in my village. So I brought <laughs> my big world into the small world, and at the same time in the pictures you could see the environment where I grew up in, um, and how that maybe later affected my compositions and stuff. So this is me in the, in the garden of my, parent, in my house where I was born, as uh, John Lennon, and that was the church of my father. And on my right side you would have had the cemetery, so that's th- this is the garden of, of the, the home of the minister of religion, of the pastor. Um, and then in front of the house, Uh, George Harrison. (coughs) A. A. Harrison. The the series was called A Somebody, and the first picture was called A Lennon, and this is A Harrison. So that could be read as Anton Lennon or a version of Lennon. Um, And it also wasn't... Basically, I admitted to myself and and the world that deep down I probably always wanted to be somebody, you know. I always thought I was uh, no ego, but I guess somehow I wanted to be somebody. And that was this series, acknowledge that. You know. mm. And this is uh, A. Curtis. Curtis. But you can but see how uh, the flat landscape where, of, the, of the island where I grew up in it was totally flat.
0: But have you, uh, you didn't put much effort into making music yourself? Like no,
1: no. I, I, uh, I, I have to say, I, I dreamt. For Depeche Mode two times on television. television, <laughs> And I decided that that had to be the highlight of my life in that sense. Such so a success. Uh, and I stopped straight away after that. I, I played drums. You know. uh, this is uh, A. Buckley. And this is A. Cobain.
0: <laughs>
1: it, it's real fun to do that, to, to dress <coughs> up. It's, it's incredibly liberating. I don't really like to have my photograph taken, but. Not only, of course, did I take the picture myself, but uh, if you dress up, it's it's liberating. There's A. Hendrix. Uh A. Elvis, A. Presley, <laughs> uh, A. Mercury, and um, it says Kapsalon, which is Dutch for a uh, uh, hair salon. Uh, and it was actually the hair salon where I had to go to when I was uh, 10 and 11. Uh, but I was taking this picture, so I had... Uh, an assistant who from Holland who were exactly my height exactly, so I put him first in position, oh. then I did the <coughs> camera, and then I would I would put my s- shoes ac- on my feet exactly where his shoes were. And if I was nearby, I would just do something with my hands like this, so he he press the shutter. If I was further away, I would m- make a sound like uh, <laughs> and, and he would press the shutter and, and my sister who did the, ma- uh, the makeup and the hair. So it was just the three of us taking these pictures, and when we are taking that picture, because the setup was so simple, of course. A guy came out of a house and he said to my sister, um, is that Anton Corbine? <laughs> and she was a bit annoyed so yeah, why? And um, he said, well, um, you know, if that's Anton Corbyn, there's hope for me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how amateur-like I, I operate,
0: you know. But you uh, also really kept the face expressions, like kind of fun not yeah, just tr- the right. outfit it, but it, you
1: know it's an interpretation of I didn't want to do anything on a computer afterwards because you can make yourself look alike of course but I wanted to do it all in front of camera this is a holly and this is a joplin <laughs> and a zappa Th- this was shot um 2 weeks after 911 and uh I had an English Mercedes I lived in England a uh, Mercedes and I was dressed like this, driving around, um, around the village and the farms, it was a farming village, and the police were called by the farmers. <laughs> There's an Arabian guy <laughs> driving around, in the, and they are nervous, <laughs> and uh, <coughs> yeah, that came, they came a search for me. Yeah. Uh, I also did some black and white pictures uh, of these uh, dressing up things, to see how desperate I was to be that somebody, you know, so this is up again, and this is uh, all of them, and th- th- this is called heaven, <laughs> this piece.
0: So, but one of, one of them is you, yourself, as yourself? No, no. Isn't that an A. Corbine? Uh, no,
1: I, I, I know I look like a pop star, but no. <laughs> no, I, I don't know which one you point out, but... Uh,
0: <laughs> the third one from the left, in the middle, I thought, who is that?
1: First third one from the left in the middle? Yeah. Oh, that's a um, good question. Uh, that might be A. Buckley. Like Jeff Buckley? Oh. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. Um, and then after that, after the second conceptual series, I had done my whole cycle of things, you know. And I, I wasn't sure what to do next. I thought, well, surely it has to be another conceptual series, because that was so popular. But I couldn't think of anything. And uh, I also started to prepare for my first film. So, um, in the meantime I started taking pictures of people I liked and they turned out to be painters. So after a few years I realized that was my new series, The Painters. Um, so it doesn't fit into this, this c- circle anymore but it's basically going back to square one, photographing people I like in black and white, you know, but square. So this is Marlene Dumas, she's a great Dutch painter. Who I, I, actually did, I, I worked with her for, uh, on some series.
0: Can you can you compare the? Oh, of course, they are all different individuals, but can you compare, let's say, rock stars to painters in terms of collaborating and?
1: Not so much. I think painters are not so interested in promoting their own visual presence. You know, um, musicians. The very the part and parcel of the music is the, their look. You know, they they want to be seen as. And uh, So it's a very different world, I think. And wh- what what I frustra- what frustrates me about the photography I do is that, you know, if you have somebody in front of your camera, you're halfway there. But painters start with nothing in a studio, and they create something. And I've always wanted to paint, and I I also do graphic design, and I, generally I use paint to make letters or to make something because I love the paintbrush so much. But I I'm a total frustrated painter because I can't. You have life, your own but.
0: typeface.
1: Like. Yeah, I do my own typeface, yeah. Also because I have no knowledge about typeface. This is Luc Thiemanns, a Belgian painter. Uh, Lucien Freud, uh, Chris O'Filly. uh Peter Doig, uh, Richard Prince, uh, Jeff Koens, uh, Gerrit Richter, John Baldessari, uh, Anselm Kiefer and uh, Damien Hurst. That's also done in front of the camera. I have to say, it's makeup. And and this picture is all about death. This was the, one of the few photographs that painters had an idea about, because he stands in front of a, a, a work that consists of dead insects. And he had a jacket on uh, from G-Star that said 3301. So in post, I have to admit, I took the 01 off. So 33, is the age that Jesus died, so it was, it's all to do with death. Yeah. Um, Ai Weiwei, which I shot in uh, Beijing.
0: Very unexpected. Uh.
1: Yeah, I, I do nudes, <laughs> uh, too, yeah. It's extra, but I do it. And there's some color work, for in case people think I never do color. <laughs> This is a German um, friend of mine, but he's a great singer, and he also did scores of two of my films. Uh, Herbert Grunemeyer, somewhere in Portugal. This is uh, Michael Stipe, Under the Shower. Uh, Rutger Hauer, he's a Dutch big Dutch actor. Uh, and when I grew up, he was playing a, um, a young guy who was always riding on a white horse. So this, for me, had, had a lot of uh, meaning. <laughs> and I did also some very grainy pictures in Black and o- Color with David Byrne, and. Patty Smith, and Peter Gabriel, and I did pictures in studios with uh, with a hand torch, with a hand torch, with in the, in black in darkness, and you accumulate the light. So these were all done with um, uh, like a torchlight in my hand. Okay. Oh. Uh, and this is Adam. He's, th- he's the the fifth, fourth and fifth member of the band. They say. Um, this is people that I worked with over different periods, so you can see the Black and White period, the Star Trek series, and the Conceptual series, and same with Brian Eno, and uh, Nick Cave, uh, Tom Waits, the, f- the people who come who reappear in my pictures, if you like, in my series. And I think that, oh, that's pictures picture of the slits. Well, this was basically to show that um, I I was never very good in um, doing proper um, lighting. You know, when I take a picture, it's usually slightly too dark, slightly too light. Um, With printing, I could manage it, but I took some pictures that I really couldn't print at all, like um, three bodies against the sunset. It's hopeless, you know, uh, um, at least for me. (coughs) But now with digital technology, I scan the negatives and was able to to solve or save some pictures that I never was able to print, and this is one of them. I did a series with the slits as an Englishman, then LL cool J. I was never able to print that picture because it on my negatives uh, the, the the whole body is black, and now uh, in digital i i, I underexposed by about four stops or something, you know, mm-hmm. which is what amateurs mm-hmm. do.
0: So you don't on have C, so
1: this was overexposed by about four or five stops, and I managed to get a picture out of it again. And these are just pens I worked with often. The pairs in the Arcade Fire and Metallica, uh, Nirvana, REM, early and late, you know, and the Rolling Stones, and U2. And there's U2 with the Fathers. This is one of uh, my favorite pictures in the music industry, in a way, because this, for me, it's the past, present, and the future of a band, because they will look like the like their father in, in the future, of course, and I also do some graphic design, so that's why you see that I paint a bit you know uh, some album sleeves, anyway, these are uh, all pictures that i found, yeah, I can go on forever but um, um I think I showed enough pictures. <laughs> I don't know what the time is. I, uh, I don't want to h- keep
0: How much time do we have?
1: Well, I think we probably had done an hour. No, David is next, so I don't want to keep him up.
0: Yeah. So uh, so if we have time, uh, I to fill some parts of the story, yeah. and I'm going to go a little back. And when you went to London as a young, shy man, uh, and these were all very tough people, actually, like famous punk rock stars and all that. How did you get into the scene, and how did you find your way through?
1: Well, London? Um, first of all, I was never really. I liked the punk mentality, but I was not into punk. I was, I was a post-punk guy. Well. Uh, if if the, the, the difference post-punk was much more melodic, you know, uh, like Joy Division is post-punk. Um, I like that. And then I showed, it, showed my pictures in England to a magazine that the NME, and I became the main photographer. So, you know, that's, that you was an easy way to get in touch. started working right away. Yeah. Yeah, so then, then you get in touch with all these people easily.
0: How is it when you make uh, videos? Like, do you have a, you don't write your scripts in, uh, in movies, you work with a writer, yeah. but h- how is it when making videos? Do you have uh, something written at hand, or just images, you no, just no. shoot it? No, you
1: have to make a story, You know, otherwise people won't do a video. So I, I, I can make little stories that I can do. And with my movies, I'm, I'm involved in the script, but I don't write it, but I'm involved, so things, c- I change the, uh, things, you know.
0: Can you, uh, there are some, uh, apart from your many uh, from your uh, iconic photographs you also have very famous uh, music videos can we talk about some of them like yeah for example uh, i'm curious about the story of atmosphere because you directed it after ian curtis was
1: that's right yeah
0: there. and how did you uh, arrange it with the band and how
1: well, it, I think they approached me because it was a re-release in 86 or something, and they asked me to make a video based on my photographs. Just, they said, just put all your pictures behind each other and just film them, yes. and that becomes a video. And I didn't want to do that. I felt that that wasn't good enough. But I liked the idea of using photographs, so uh, I asked them to give me some money, and then I made a little story, so I made this story of people finding these pictures and then carrying them. Um, and um, there was something about uh, a plus and a minus, you know, that holding one picture together, so the, the outfits had a plus or a minus on them, and that, you know, in, in electrical terms, that's electricity, is the atmosphere. So, um,
0: and l- l- they look like little monks, we could say, maybe? Yeah,
1: the, yeah, the, the <coughs> most of them were kids, and so, some were small people, and um, I did that uh, because then my pictures looked bigger you know, because I wanted them, the pictures to be really big, but I couldn't only print them <laughs> a certain size. So, so by <laughs> having the people who carry them to be smaller, the pictures look bigger. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it, it was also more interesting maybe. To who understand. would
0: have thought it had a, uh, such a practical yeah, reason? Yeah,
1: well, practicalities uh, determine a lot of things. You know.
0: And and how about a heart-shaped box? Which is yeah, that was
1: one of the few scripts I didn't write. C- Kurt Cobain uh, was an incredible um, visionary guy who had a very detailed idea of what that video should look like. And he sent me all these drawings uh, that I based the video on. And there's there's a couple of things in the video that were uh, mine. You know, the, 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 the electrical or the mechanical birds and, and the, the the big woman who represent Mother Earth to me. It was in there and a few little things, but basically it's Kurt's idea and it, it I've never worked with a musician who uh, knew so well what he wanted visually. You
0: know. Oh, I see. And later on, they didn't make any other music no, video? No, I mean,
1: that video worked out so well uh, for Kurt, you know, for me too, but for Kurt, he liked it so much that he said, uh, can you do the next video for, uh, I think it was Penny Royalty. And I said, well, I, I will never be able to make a video that's better than Heart shaped Box, so I won't do it. And then he said, "Well, if you don't do it, I will never make another video again, ever." And he never did. So, uh, in retrospect, I would have liked to have said yes. yes. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I think they like us to uh, <laughs> to move. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Any <So>
1: questions? <laughs> no. Good. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you all.